Welcome to the SPU Voices podcast, an interview show where we hear personal stories that have universal impact. My name is Amanda Stubbert. I'm your host, and I am the alumni director at Seattle Pacific University. This is my producer. My name is Kyle Brown, and I am an alumni of Seattle Pacific University. I am also an alum of Seattle Pacific, and I'm a current parent, so we're pretty attached to this place. But the best part of our job is that we get to hear these stories that actually change lives. So whether you are working out or sitting at your desk pretending to work, sit back and relax. Let's tell some stories. With us today is Cami Ostman, an author, writing coach, and therapist who has dedicated her life to helping others tell and understand their own personal story. If you have a story to tell, then this is the episode for you. Cammie is the author of the Quest memoir, Second Wind, One Woman's Midlife Quest to Run Seven Marathons on Seven Continents, and the co-editor of two anthologies of memoirs. She has coached hundreds of writers of all ages through the completion of projects varying in length from short poems to very, very long books. She has a passion for story. As a therapist, she received her MS in Marriage and Family Therapy from SPU in 2000. And as a writer, Cammie excels at helping people figure out what it is they really have to say. Her gift is to break down the daunting tasks in life into manageable bite-sized pieces for people so they can experience success. Cami, thank you for joining us today. I'm so happy to be here, Amanda. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, absolutely. I love your writing. You are one of my favorite writers of all time. Thank I'm you. I'm just going to say that. I'm Thank just going to be honest about that. Did you always want to be a writer? Oh, yes. I mean, probably since I was about 10 years old when my family took a trip to the ocean because, you know, I lived on the Puget Sound. So you see the salt water, but you don't see the ocean unless right. you go around the peninsula. And I remember I walked out onto the beach by myself and I saw the ocean and I, I heard the roar of it. And I was so overwhelmed with the whole idea of this massive body of water and the, uh, you know, the breeze in the air and the smell of it. And so I ran back to the tent and I wrote an ABAB rhymed poem. And that was, that was the end. I came home and I announced to everyone that I was going to be a writer, to which everyone said, yeah, but how are you going to make money? <laughs> As usual. And except for except for my Uncle Bruce. My Uncle Bruce had always wanted to be a writer too. And he got me a, I think for my birthday or Christmas, he got me the gift of a year uh, subscription to the Writer magazine. That's so funny. Most 10-year-olds would say, what in the world are you no. giving me? I was so excited. And in the middle of the month when I knew it was coming, I would run out to the post box and, you know, look for it. And I didn't really understand much of what was in there, you know, plot points and right. scenic depiction and all those things that I now teach. But at the time, I was just super excited to be thought of as a writer by somebody. Right. Yeah. Right. Isn't that amazing yeah. how we can encourage children so easily, really, by just not discouraging them? Exactly. How much encouragement that gives right. them for the future. One, one person believing what you say when you're a child makes such a difference. Yes. Yeah. Yes. When I was in fifth grade, you sang the ABAB poem. When I was in fifth grade, our teacher made us a journal on a regular basis. Yeah. And it was not something I liked to do because I was a terrible speller. And I just 
felt like I didn't want to take the time. Yeah. And so in order to write less for each of my journal entries, I would write a poem because I discovered he thought that was great. Right. And I thought I was getting away with something. Right. Same I, honestly, number of lines, right? Yes. Yeah. I thought I was getting away with something because I was using fewer words, but still getting a good grade. And yet this teacher was quietly giggling that he was getting me to write poetry. That's great. And I still have one because in third grade, it included the line, but alas, uh-huh. I could not. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah. alas. Clearly mm-hmm. trying to sound old. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. 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 When I go back through old journal entries and old pieces of writing, it's so fun to see, you know, how wise I thought I sounded then. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a place to grow. It right? is. You yeah. have to start somewhere. Yeah, we fact, find our voice as we go. That remind I feel like I'm jumping ahead in our story here, but that reminds me of what you have described as your favorite quote many times. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So um, one of my favorite quotes is by uh, the theologian G.K. Chesterton, where he says that anything worth doing is worth doing badly. And I really, I really love that quote. Uh, I know that he he meant it in one sense. What I mean is that if you love to do something, you should be doing that thing, right. whether or not the quality of that thing is brilliant or perfect. So if you love to write, if you love to sing, you know, I'm well known for uh, loving karaoke, and I cannot hold a tune, but it does not matter. I don't even need to be drinking like a lot of people do. <laughs> right, because I think it's two things, isn't it? It's it's if you love it, do it anyway, because mm-hmm. it's for you, not just for the rest of the world. But also, if you can't start badly, you will never get to the point. Right. That's a fact. You're good. Yeah. The, the one thing that I always talk about with writers is that you have to have that cruddy first draft. Like you, you really have to sit down and write. You know, I like to invite people to make a list of scenes mm-hmm. and then sit down and write. And as you write, you're excavating the clay from the ground that will become the material for whatever you you finally turn out. You know, everything that you've read that you've loved my book anybody else's book Mm -hmm. you know Mark Twain everything that you've read does not represent good writing it represents good revisions right right work good work good work yes the hard the hard work yep who's the one that said if it's your first draft that's not writing that's typing Oh, I don't know who said that. I'll have to look that's that great. up. If you're listening to this and you know who said that, let us let us know. Put it down in the comments. Yes, there you go. So, Cami, your book, uh, The Second Wind, it's such a journey, mm-hmm. figuratively and literally. And, literally. and I, every time I tell someone the name of your book, Seven Marathons, Seven Continents, inevitably their next comment is... Even Antarctica? Yes. And it was? Yes, even Antarctica. Yeah. I always go that seven. Yes, she Mm -hmm. didn't invent a new one. No, I didn't. It's all seven. But there's so many, as as with all good books, there's so many little stories within the larger story. Yeah. Can you just tell us one? Just bring us into uh, that world of of Cammie and and her journey around the world. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, How about a gross one? We'll take it. All right. So before I uh, before I ran the race in South Africa, which was in a national park called Weskus National Park, I got sick. So like two days before the race, my stomach gurgled. I woke up in the middle of the night, and I need not tell you more. <laughs> 
and bad things, bad things happened. And I was, I was quite sick. I had a fever and really couldn't keep anything down. This was, you know, enough time that I should have been able to recover from it. But when I woke up in the, on the morning of the race, I still was, you know, compromised, let's just say. Yeah. Later, I realized I probably should not have run that race for sure. But I was in, I traveled quite a way to do it. And I was in South Africa. So I went to the starting line anyway. And, um, and as I went, I literally, uh, you know, barely kind of put one foot in front of another for about five hours. You know, I'm a back of the packer. So these things don't go quickly for me. And uh, yeah, there's no trees, no trees at all, no shade whatsoever. And need I tell you when I needed to take care of things, it was really embarrassing out out there on the field. Also, they ran out of water on that route. And so we're running in the hot, probably... 101 degrees. Here I've got this wow. stomach doing all kinds of ridiculous things. And so then when we finally get to the very end of the race, maybe it's two miles before the end. So, you know, we're at mile 24, for example. And I turn the corner and there's this hill, like this this hill beyond description. You can see it weaving up the mountainside and it's literally two miles long. And I just burst out into tears oh, and man. at the at the foot of the hill and some guy that was running next to me kind of a heavy set fellow who didn't speak English he was watching me cry and we were sort of chugging up this hill together ever so slowly and he kept turning to me and shouting in his language shouting at me and I don't know what he was saying but I like to think that he was saying <laughs> girl you can do this come on one foot in front of the other and we finished that race together and uh, you know I've collapsed on the ground and they had run out of metals when I got to the end. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. So that a low point, a low point on the journey. But you know, oh. when you have a low point in the journey and you survive to tell the story, it's really, you really feel tough, you know, really tough. Henry James has a quote that says, a writer is one on whom nothing is lost. So, you know, when you have an experience like that as a writer, part of you is saying, oh, this is hard. This is so hard. And another part of you is saying, this is going to be a great story. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I remember telling one of my teenagers who was really struggling with a certain teacher that she has a choice between suffering and just watching the minutes tick by till this class was over, or she could take it as basically food for a monologue someday. Yeah. You know, her stand up routine. Yeah. And make this something that's gonna make other people laugh for years to come. And right. We yeah. had a good time turning that experience into into some fun material for her. Yeah, every every treble is a potential story arc. Right? That you have then for the rest of your life. You do. Yeah. One moment of pain can be a triumph for a very long time. Right, yes. which is not to diminish pain in people's lives. I mean, as a therapist, I know that there's some pretty deep pain and no story at the end is uh, is worth what you might go through. But in this case, for me, it wasn't so serious. Although my doctor did admonish me at the end. She said, you really should not have done that. Right. I was, I was actually going to say something along those lines. Ladies and gentlemen, do not try this at home. Exactly. Or in South <laughs> or, Africa. Or in South Africa or, or anywhere. anywhere. <laughs> So you just brought up being a therapist. So how does your experience as a writer Mm -hmm. inform your experience as a therapist? And I would guess it's cyclical Mm -hmm. and your experience as a therapist is informing who you are as a writer. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Well, you know, for me, it's it's all story. It's all what we're grappling with in our lives as a therapist. What people are grappling with in their lives is 
how they're telling themselves the story. So a lot of the pain that we experience, not all of it, but a lot of the pain that we experience comes from what we think about what happened to us. And so a lot of what I'm doing in therapy is working with the way people have narrated their events in their lives to themselves and whether or not they're able to find another storyline inside of some of those really difficult, hard things. You know, one one thing that I think make uh, creates a lot of pain for people is that something happened in the past and they're reviewing it over and over and over again. And the conclusions that they're coming up with are painful, like I'm not worthy of love or Mm -hmm. I deserved to be abused or I can't keep myself safe things like that. So let's take the story you just told. Mm -hmm. So you did something that was probably not very wise Mm -hmm. physically, right? Mm -hmm. Your doctor was not excited about that. It caused a lot of pain, probably took some time to recover. Yes. So you, as you tell that story and think back on that story, you could think, I do not make wise decisions. Yes. I almost killed myself and I'm a very weak person because I should have been able to recover more quickly exactly. from the flu. Or you can say, I'm a survivor. Yep. I'm determined. I will get to the end of every race, no matter what's put in front of me. Right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I dug really deep to finish that race. I also made a connection with somebody in the moment you know, running up that hill. I found ways of taking care of myself along the route. You know, I had pre-planned by bringing water. A lot of people hadn't. Mm. So I wasn't counting on the aid stations to support me. So I'm independent. And I had to kind of push through some shame there at one point. Yeah. You know, even as you're, as we're using this story as an example, Uh um, I even love that in the moment you had no idea what this man who was running alongside of you, you really had no idea what he was yelling at you. No idea. You had a choice. You could choose to say, he's saying you don't belong here. Give up now. Yeah. Or he's saying, you can do this. Girl, yeah. let's go. Let's go. We're going to finish together. And I love that even though he was speaking another language, so it was very literally you had to choose to decide mm-hmm. what he was saying. But even when people are using words in a language we understand, we still are choosing the motives behind what people are saying to us. And we're still reading in between the lines. Yeah, that's so funny. I was just talking to a friend of mine who had an interaction and she was telling me about the interaction and she decided this person was just so rude. And I'm like, well, how did you know the person was rude? And she describes the look on the person's face. And I'm like, they could have just had gas. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 they were rude. (laughs) So we do this all the time, right? We're making things up and telling stories about other people and about ourselves. So that creates a lot of pain. Right. So both in the therapy room and in working with my writing clients, I'm working with people on how they tell the story. And one of my main focuses is, can you turn yourself into the hero or the heroine of your story? Mm. I feel like that's really important for trans transformation, that each of us can find a way through the hero's journey. We can find the elixir, the thing that will bring healing, that will bring strength, that will bring wisdom to other people. And we can emerge from the story as the hero, even if we started out as the victim. Right. I just I just want to clarify for people who are hearing this kind of for the first time Mm -hmm. that you are not advocating changing facts. That's correct. Now, this isn't false, you know, fake news. No. You're advocating 
changing your perspective on the facts. Yeah, I'm, I'm advocating that we work with the meaning we make out of the things that happen to us. I think there can be a lot of damage done in denial of what happened. Mm-hmm. I think it's well known that with, with addiction, that a lot of people go through a period of denial where they can't see their loved one is addicted or they can't see the addiction in their own lives. Mm-hmm. And I think denial can do a lot of damage. So when someone is safe on the other side of a scary, difficult, dangerous event, then we're doing the meaning making. In the moment of that event, we're, we're just trying to survive as it should sure. be. Yeah, Sure. For those of you out there who haven't met Cammie in person, um, I find you one of the most light-filled, just happy, shiny people that, and I mean that in the best possible way, that I, I suppose happy and shiny could be, see, see narrative, right? Could be Thank you. <laughs> I'm saying very positively, you are so full of light, and yet you spend so much of your life mm-hmm. Um, dealing with and making meaning of some hard things Mm -hmm. that people have gone through as an editor, as a writing coach, as a therapist. People are constantly coming to you and saying, here's the worst thing that happened to me and laying it at your feet. How do you deal with that? How do you continue to be the light when that's that's what you do. Yeah. Well, thank you for that compliment. First of all, that's really sweet. I'm happy to know that you see me that way. Well, I definitely have some dark angsty moments. I would be lying if I didn't say that I don't come home and cry sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, people have people go through things that are so incredibly difficult that it's that crying is sometimes the only right response when you hear a sad story. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of my release. I I will cry sometimes. I watched a movie the other day that had absolutely nothing to do with me, and I bawled my eyes out, and it felt super cathartic and good. And I knew all along I wasn't crying really about the movie. So there's, there's that. And then because I do work with story, I really do believe that most people can find their way into a transformation where they experience themselves as the hero or heroine of their story. And so that's a, just a deeply held belief for me. Sure. So I feel like I'm actively engaged. I, I genuinely feel like I'm changing the world when I'm in the therapy room or when I'm coaching clients like yourself and Mm -hmm. other writers, because I know that those stories will go out back out into the world. I mean, I have clients who have influence. Sure. And so I'm behind the scenes holding space for them to craft their story arc to find new meaning in their lives. And then they walk out the door. And I know I take a lot of solace in the fact that I've changed the world by my work. Right. It's that old adage about being Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher. Right. Right. You don't have to be Billy Graham. But if you had something to do with part of that story. Yes. If you were a piece of that puzzle, then you you can take just as much pride and joy and success in that. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's great. So for the rest of us, we may not be coaches and therapists, and yet in this day and age, you can't turn on the radio or talk to a friend hardly without having some of these negative stories coming at you and many facts being interpreted purely with the negative in mind. How can we wash some of that off? How can we go about our lives and build our relationships without taking on all this negative narrative Mm -hmm. around us? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is the conversation uh, for an hour, right? I mean, that's such a great question. Part two, episode with Cammie, part two. Yeah, right. So there's a few things that that I think about. First of all, I do believe that it's important for all of us to stay informed about what's going on in the world. But who makes the choices about which stories come forward? 
usually the stories that we're reading are stories of tragedy, of illness, of violence. We're hearing a lot of those stories, but it doesn't mean those are the only things happening in the world. Right. 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 We don't we don't have breaking news. You know, this just in someone just did something kind for someone else. Right. But those things are happening all around us all the time. Our gaze is pointed at these hard things. And while it is important to know what those are because we need to stand up against injustice, we need to do our civic duty, we also need to we need to raise the volume on the stories where beautiful things are going on, where victory happens, where transformation happens. You know, one thing that I really like to tell people in therapy is about John Gottman's work. Mm -hmm. That for every difficult moment inside of a marriage, you need five positive experiences, five connecting experiences in order to counteract that and to rebuild trust. So one thing I want to say is that we want a lot of input. We want to create for ourselves as much input with laughter and joy and happiness as we can. Mm -hmm. And we want to tell those stories over and over again, even when they're even when they're hard stories need to be transformed into positive stories like the one that I told you, right, right. So I told you a story of getting sick and having a hard run. But in the end, I felt like a powerful woman, I felt like a warrior, like a goddess crossing that finish line, you know, and the picture of myself at the end of that race is of me sitting on the ground with this tortured look on my face. And every time I look at that picture, I think, I cannot believe what you pulled off, girl. So I think it's about really engaging in our stories very specifically. So first of all, providing some experiences, as many as possible for ourselves, where we're laughing, where we're connecting, where we're living in joy. Mm -hmm. And then when we do encounter something difficult, really working with those stories on, uh, on a conscious level. I mean, so often we don't look at what happens to us or our thoughts that are passing through our mind. We just let them go. They're not there in consciousness. And the more conscious we all are on the planet, I really think the better this place is going to be. And I know that's one of the many reasons why you work with people to write their memoir. That's right. Because I think some people have a story that truly needs to be out in the world to Mm -hmm. change many lives. And I think some people just want to write that memoir so they understand their own life. Yeah. You know, I have a writing client right now who said something the other day that was brought me so much joy. When she first started writing her story, she was writing one event after the other of these terrible traumatic things that had happened to her. And, you know, her her one-on-one coach said to me, well, I think she's really stuck in the trauma. And I said, just just keep pushing her to write, keep pushing her to write. And the other day in the class, she said, you know, when I first started writing, all I could see was all the terrible things that happened to me. And right now I see what a strong person I am. Yay. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that is true. I mean, I don't know if, if she'll ever publish her book or not. Some of the people in my program uh, in the narrative project are definitely heading toward publication. Mm -hmm. That's their goal. They want, they know they have a story that can be informative and supportive for other people, but, uh, and they want to publish. And then there are others who really just want to work through their own hero's journey. One thing I've recently noticed in describing to someone what the hero's journey is, we're not going to get into that here. If you don't know, Google it. It's fascinating. But really in literature, the hero isn't the superhero as we think of them. It's not the savior. The hero is the one who allowed themselves to be changed. Yes. And I've just been really marinating on that in my own life. The hero of the story is the one who allowed themselves to be changed. And so no matter how 
put upon or painful our moment in time, right. we realize that we become the hero as we are as we allow ourselves to be changeable. And that's mm-hmm. something we all actually have the power to do. Yeah, that's exactly right. The hero isn't the person who starts out strong. The hero is the one who goes into the dark cave and comes out the other side with a new perspective. Well, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you for bringing new perspective to my life and to so many other lives and to the lives of the people listening to this. And I hope you will come back another time and talk us through some more ways we can help get through um, all these negative narratives coming at us on a day-to-day basis. But today was very positive, and I really appreciate you bringing that to us today. Thank you so much, Amanda. I'm really happy to be here. We hope you liked today's interview and learned something along the way. From Amanda and Kyle, we ask you to rate, review, and subscribe so we can keep bringing you these personal stories with universal impact. See you soon.